Bye-bye, Brady. Tom Brady is out of New England. Probably the most shocking news in the sports world right now, but not the world. My name is Dylan Price, and yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. This is probably the most loaded episode I have had in recent memory. Um, I do have an interview coming later in this episode with Division 3 wide receiver Casey Stewart. He's a beast, and he is heading towards the NFL. I'm excited for that sit-down to air, and I'm excited to see what he does next. But in terms of current news, this is one of the most loaded episodes. NFL free agency kicked off yesterday, and it has been nothing short of madness and... On the other side of things, the world is madness right now. Um, the coronavirus outbreak is very prominent in the sports world and in my life now because of sports and school being closed. So I talk about all this. Um, I talk about Brady's exit. I talk about recapping some of the wild moves like the robbery of the Houston Texans for Deshaun, or not Deshaun, DeAndre Hopkins. And I talk about Stefan Diggs heading to New York and ending up in Buffalo, not the Giants or the Jets, where it could have been more expected. And I talk about all of that and some of the big signings and when my Jets are ever going to wake up in free agency. It's a great episode, and I'm really excited for you guys to tune in. After a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Anchor. So I've recorded and re-recorded this part of this episode a few times, um, trying to figure out the right way to say all of this. Um, it's a hard thing for myself to comprehend, and I can't imagine how hard it is for a lot of people to comprehend. My thoughts and prayers are with anybody who has the infection, um, COVID-19, and coronavirus, and that's kind of what this segment is about. It's about the coronavirus outbreak and its effect on the world and the sports world specifically, as this is a majority for the majority, a sports-based podcast. Um, the sports world, from that aspect, the NBA, MLS, NHL, MLB, NASCAR, XFL, NFL, um, all NCAA and New York State high school sports have all been affected by... Well, high school sports as a whole have all been affected by COVID-19. Uh, a lot of leagues are being postponed. It could make for a very interesting summer for something to look forward to for sports fans. But the NFL draft was moved from Vegas. That hurts a lot of people in terms of financial aspects for Vegas because the NFL draft gains a lot of income. WWE, WrestleMania, was moved out of Tampa Bay. That was supposed to be one of the biggest events of the year for WWE. Now they're having it from their performance center in Orlando, Florida. A lot of things are being relocated right now and shifted around. And that is just in terms of the sports world, but in the world as a whole, a lot of things planned, a lot of things that were supposed to happen that are uh, no longer going to happen because of COVID-19. Uh, schools are closed, um, public offices, a lot of things are closed right now. And um, there's not much I can really say as a 16-year-old um, podcaster and sports journalist and student um, this is where doctors and government officials step up and protect us, but I can say that the best thing from what I've heard to do is to flatten the curve and promote social distancing, meaning avoid contact with a lot of people, avoid large gatherings, over 10 people, um, avoid touching your face, wash your hands, um, 
be safe, stock up for food and preparing in preparation for potential quarantine, but don't go crazy. That's the ultimate thing I feel like I want to reiterate um, from my perspective of this coronavirus. I feel like this infection is serious and should be taken seriously, but not to the point where media is promoting mass hysteria. It is inappropriate and it is unethical. Media is doing this to get clicks and get attention. Um, the virus is serious and I don't doubt that. But it is not serious enough where because of what the media is saying, the economy is in shambles. The country is in shambles. People are in fear. You know what's going to come from this? Yes, an economic recession, but a growth of depression in the United States, in China, in Italy. And the media promoting this mass hysteria and getting people to go out and buy non-essential things like toilet paper. I get it's important, but you don't need to stockpile so much toilet paper. I don't even know how that started. But getting things like water, getting things like medicine, getting things like um, hydrogen peroxide and stuff to disinfect things, that's important. But the media promoting ignorant things like, oh, let's get toilet paper, let's drive stuff up. They're driving up the markets for certain people. It's corrupt, and the media is being corrupt and promoting mass hysteria. And all it's going to do is lead to traumatic mental health, like depression, like serious anxiety. And it's allowing, yes, some stability of the economy because you're taking advantage of anxious people and getting them to mass buy things that some people don't need, like toilet paper. Um, a lot of people are well stocked with toilet paper and don't need to go out and buy so much toilet paper. But in a general sense, the mass hysteria being promoted by the media is probably the most dangerous aspect of COVID-19. I think, yes, the sports world is in the back burner right now, and a lot of the world is in confusion. But companies like New York Times, CNN, um, a lot of these big media companies, all you're doing is promoting mass hysteria. So stop. If you need an outlet for my listeners listening to this right now to come not listen to that kind of stuff and listen to some positive sports talk, to listen to some just talk in general, we're going to do some fun things over here in the next month because there's not much to do. I'm going to come out with some original content and some cool stuff that I'm really excited to do on the show, a lot of interviews. If you need a break from mass hysteria, come here. Go to Pardon My Take. Go to Pat McAfee's show. Go to other podcasts. Go to TV shows. Get those escape from realities that you're not getting from sports because Lord knows right now the media is promoting this mass hysteria and driving everyone crazy. Most of all, stay safe. That's really my rant about all of this. Um, yeah. Let's talk some sports. I'm ready for some free agency talk. This is the part of the episode I am very excited for along with my interview with Casey Stewart. Um, a lot is going on in the NFL world right now. The greatest of all time, Tom Brady, is not going back to New England. I had previously taped some reaction to day one of free agency. Then last night, Stephon Diggs was traded to the Buffalo Bills for a first rounder and a package of some other mid-round and day three picks, along with Buffalo receiving a fourth rounder. All of this was not included in my original reaction, so I kind of adjusted and am re-recording right now. But a lot of the gist of my original reaction was I think that the Dolphins, the Bills, are two teams that are really making moves in the AFC East, whereas now the Patriots are losing their quarterback. How Belichick is going to adjust is definitely a headline. Will they stick with Jarrett Stidham? Will they trade for Jacoby Brissett? Will they 
go after a free agent quarterback like Jameis Winston, or will they go and trade for a quarterback like Andy Dalton or Nick Foles? A lot of that are question marks in New England. As for Tom Brady, there's rumors he's going to Tampa Bay. If I was a betting man right now, I'd put a bet on Tampa Bay. If I was predicting where I would go in his shoes, I would say Los Angeles. I think it's an opportunity to grow the TB12 brand even more. And I think that he just started an entertainment company called 199 Productions there. And I think it'd be best for him to go there. So for Brady, I would probably say, if I had to say right now, I think he's ending up in Tampa Bay. But if I were him, I'd be in Los Angeles, especially because of Bruce Arians' record with quarterbacks getting hurt. Carson Palmer got hurt. Jameis Winston got hurt. Ben Roethlisberger got hurt when he was running the offense there. Bruce Arians' offenses often end with a quarterback getting hurt semi-frequently and I think that's something to watch here with Brady and where he goes but I think either way he's whether it's Los Angeles Tampa I think he's going to pick a team with a lot of weapons or a dark horse that comes out of the blue but I think there's going to be um a lot of weapons in wherever Brady goes especially a good offensive line as well um as for Belichick as I stated I think he goes um I I think there's definitely talk they'll stick with Stidham, but I think they have a plan in place. I don't think they're nervous. As for some of the other big trades, something I didn't even just notice or acknowledge at the helm of this recording was Cam Newton is no longer going to be a Carolina Panther. They have signed Teddy Bridgewater to what is believed to be a three-year, $60 million deal to be their new starting quarterback under coach Matt Rule, and Bridgewater will be reunited with former offensive coach Joe Brady. Uh, Cam Newton is on his way out now, and the other big headline is Philip Rivers is heading to Indianapolis. So kind of um, and analyzing and breaking down this, Cam Newton, I don't really know where he will end up. Um, I think this is going to put him in a weird spot. I think Chicago could be a fit. I think that um, New England really could be a fit if Tampa misses out on um Brady I think he may end up there but I think that Cam Newton is going to end up somewhere being a starter but where I really don't know at this point in time um another place uh where he could have gone Indianapolis they end up with Philip Rivers I actually like this move I think Philip Rivers this is his best chance to win a ring next year and maybe the year after that if he signs a two-year deal I don't know the terms of the deal but I'm hearing from uh, a couple sources that the deal is done. But Philip Rivers is in a tough spot. I think Indianapolis should this year draft a quarterback, but more than likely they could head towards next year drafting a quarterback because they did trade their first-round pick. Um, They traded their first-round pick for DeForest Buckner, so they ended up with a new defensive tackle and a new quarterback in exchange for their first-round pick, which overall... Good on Chris Ballard for making some moves to take up some of that cap space that they don't use. They sign Buckner to a big deal, and he becomes the anchor of that defensive line. And they get Phillip Rivers, a veteran presence as quarterback. Uh, Maybe they go out and get a quarterback in the second round, but I don't know exactly what they'll do right now. Uh, Added thing on Carolina, they signed Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater was phenomenal in replacement for Drew Brees when he went down with his thumb injury, and I think that Bridgewater is very deserving of this opportunity. With that said, I still think Carolina could draft a quarterback. I don't think it'll be round one now, but look for them to maybe draft a quarterback in round two or three and head it after Jalen Hurts or Jacob Eason. I think either of those guys could be a good backup for Bridgewater and promote some competition there, or they'll stick with Bridgewater and rely on him to be the sole heir to the throne in Carolina. 
but I like Bridgewater and um, McCaffrey. I think that's a good combo, and I'm really excited to see what they can do there. Um, as for reacting to some other stuff, DeAndre Hopkins and the Texans are no longer a combo. <laughs> now he heads to Arizona to be paired with Larry Fitzgerald, Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, in what is now a very stacked wide receiver course for Kyler Murray to work with. They also transition-tagged Kenyon Drake, and he will likely be back for another year. So they've built a great offense there under Cliff Kingsbury. But the big question here um, is truly around what went through Bill O'Brien's mind when he agreed to this deal. Looking at what Stefan Diggs fetched for the Bills... I think Bill O'Brien should have just drawn out of this deal immediately. All he got was David Johnson, who they had to eat most of the money, a second-round pick, and a fourth. They also gave a pick to Arizona. It was ignorant management in the front office, and it just further proves why Bill O'Brien is ruining the Houston Texans from the front office. They traded Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills for practically or they acquired Laramie Tunzel and Kenny Stills and gave up what seemed like everything for them and ended up with Stills actually had a very good year and Laramie Tunzel was very good, but they don't ha- they didn't have a top 50 pick. So yes, you trade DeAndre Hopkins and you rely on Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, and likely drafting a receiver. That's okay, but you should get a first-round pick. At the very least, a first-rounder, maybe more for DeAndre Hopkins based on what Stefan Diggs got. It was a dumb decision, and Bill O'Brien deserves to be embarrassed for that decision. Amari Cooper heads back to Dallas on a five-year, $100 million deal with $60 million guaranteed. That's a big-money deal. Jack Conklin heads to the Browns, right tackle. He'll go to there on a big deal. Uh, Joe Thunney remains with the Patriots. James Bradbury heads to the New York Giants. And Byron Jones heads to the Miami Dolphins. Jones immediately upgrades the secondary in Miami, as does Bradbury in New York. Um, Joe Thunney remains with the Patriots and gives them a sense of security on the offensive line with two high-priced guys in Shaq Mason and Joe Thunney and Isaiah Wynn, um, the young tackle on the line as well. And they also um, have the opportunity now to make some other moves to potentially add some weapons around whoever their quarterback is, potentially through trading and maybe targeting AJ Green or another target, but I can't really see AJ Green being traded on the tag because of Joe Burrow likely coming in in Cincinnati. A lot of rapid fire reaction, but a couple winners from free agency, and I know I didn't hit everything, but a couple winners to day one, I will do a full reaction next weekend, but, uh, or next Tuesday, but at this point in time, I think that the Dolphins really impressed me. They added Byron Jones. I'm. They also added um, Kyle Van Noy. And I've just been impressed with a lot of their moves. They added Shaq Lawson as well. And they've just made some very good under-the-radar moves. And I expect them to make a couple more good moves. Um, I liked what the Bills did. I think going out and getting Stefan Diggs, getting a number one wide receiver to pair with John Brown and Cole Beasley was a great move. Um, I think they immediately are the favorites in the AFC East without Brady on the Patriots. I think that um, the losers to this point, though, uh, I also think what the Colts did was very impressive and what the 49ers did. I think that trade was a win-win for both sides. And Arizona was definitely a big winner with getting Hopkins 
a very minimal cost. Um, I also think the Browns did very good. They got Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin to protect and provide weaponry for Baker Mayfield. But the biggest losers of the day were my New York Jets. And honestly, I got to say the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans. The Cowboys tied a lot of money up to Amari Cooper and a lot of money up to Dak Prescott. Unless they can answer the cornerback position in free agency, they got progressively worse. They needed to find a deal with Prescott on a long-term deal and negotiate a more fair deal with Cooper because now they're in a tough spot where they're going to have to extend some key players and potentially have to give up more players like Byron Jones, who were doing phenomenal for that defense. And I think that Dallas has definitely digressed, um, regressed because of this. Um, as for the Jets, they were hyped up to make a lot of pushes at premier free agents on the offensive line specifically. And Graham Glasgow, Joe Thunny, and Jack Conklin will not be in a green and white uniform next year. That's a big loss for the New York Jets. I'm excited, though, to see what Joe Douglas does with the remainder of the free agency market. But if he cannot do something for the New York Jets, um, maybe a flashy move is... I'd say a flashy move is probably unlikely, but I think they need to add some valuable players in day two and three of free agency, or else um, they will have regressed significantly just because of how how much they need. They had 21 free agent players, and they have not done a lot to this point in time. The Eagles, as well, are kind of in the same boat as the Jets, where they haven't done anything, and they have a lot of holes. But the biggest loser of the day, far and away, is the Houston Texans. They got robbed. They got really robbed. And they're in a tough spot now, and I feel for Deshaun Watson trying to figure out what the next move is. So that's my free agency talk. Um, a lot and rapid fire, but... I'm excited for the next aspect of this episode, an interview with a phenomenal wide receiver in Casey Stewart, who has a really cool story. He went from a basketball player to a football player to not really knowing where his college career was going to go. Now he ended up at the CSG Showcase and with some real professional football interest, specifically from his dream team, the Dallas Cowboys. It's a phenomenal interview that you will want to listen to right after this brief, brief word. Just kidding. There is no word from our sponsors. The interview is next. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is NFL draft prospect and football wide receiver from Shenandoah University. He is a record setter and an absolute beast at wide receiver. He now gets ready for the next level, and he is today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Casey Stewart. Casey, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, it's, it's an honor to be able to do this. Um, so, so I appreciate that. Well, thanks for taking the time to come on. So kind of starting from the beginning of your career, how was your high school football career? Oh, okay. So actually, you know, I don't have, you know, the, the backstory that a lot of these, these NFL athletes or, you know, guys who are training for the next level's backstory. Um, I actually only played one year in high school, which was my senior year. Um, so it, it's... It benefited me, but it didn't. I was a big basketball guy, um, so I originally went to college uh, to play basketball at Eastern Mennonite University. I ended up leaving there uh, and then transferred to West Virginia University where I went to their, their walk-on tryouts. Um, obviously didn't make it, 
And then I stayed there for a year, ended up leaving there, and I ended up at Shenandoah. So I, I played one year in high school and then took two years off before I started playing football again. So there was a big gap in between your football career, and how did that kind of go for you in that sense? Um, so Shenandoah was one of the teams when I was coming out of high school that was recruiting me for both football and basketball. Uh, but I ended up not choosing there, and my best friend at the time was getting ready to go there and play football. So he offered you know, to get me in contact with the coaches because I wasn't playing sports at West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to go to school and not play sports. Um, you know, sports has been my whole life, so I wanted to get back to that. And Shenandoah was close to home, and I knew that I had some kind of connection to them, so I just took that opportunity and ran with it. Now you immediately, so out of high school, you played basketball. How were you as a basketball player, and were you thinking that maybe you were an NBA talent maybe rather than an NFL talent? Uh, yeah, so I had never, I've never really been a football guy. Um, it was basketball my whole life growing up. It was the, the dream of playing in the NBA. And, you know, I had, I had multiple offers coming out of college for basketball. Um, a few D2s, um, a lot of, a lot of the D3 bigger, bigger, uh, more successful programs. But, I chose to stay close to home um, and go with two of my best friends who also uh, were going to Eastern Mennonite University. Mm-hmm. So just, I would like to think I was pretty good at basketball, and, and honestly, it translates a lot to the football field um, when you kind of break it down and look at some of the things that you do as a wide receiver that you do on a basketball court. So you're 6'4", so what position did you play? Um, well, in high school, I kind of played every position but center. Uh-huh. But when I went to Eastern Mennonite, I was like the, the two guard, three guard. Huh. And did you fare well at basketball, or why did you choose to ultimately leave basketball, I guess? Um, so I think what made me leave was, you know, what the – and not to, you know, talk down about it, but what the, the program there – um, kind of presented to me was not how it was when I got there. Um, there's a couple things that were said to me that just didn't didn't happen, and it it was more along the lines of you know they were just trying to sell their program and get you know guys to come, and it wasn't what they were preaching. So you didn't kind of find a fit there, so you ended up going to West Virginia. What was the plan? in that decision? Uh, the plan was just to get away from home and kind of enjoy, enjoy that college experience. Um, West Virginia was always my favorite school growing up, and, mm-hmm. you know, I had the opportunity to go there with, with one of my cousins and, and roommate with them. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, feel that out and see see how it was. Um, and, you know, that turned out to not be everything it was – made out to be either um so ultimately i decided to to leave there and you know academically it wasn't the best fit for me with everything going on at that East university um and that's that's why i decided to leave there and obviously i wanted to play sports again so you've been fairly well traveled in your college career 
<laughs> yeah, it's been a rocky road. But it did lead you to Shenandoah University, where you've had a hell of a lot of success, Casey. You've done really well there. So what kind of led you to your football at Shenandoah? Um, so when when I chose to go there, I kind of knew that I would I would be able to play uh, football and basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole basketball aspect obviously comes after football. So I was just I started out during the football season, you know, and then I knew that once I was over, that I would be able to hop right into basketball, which I did. But that only lasted for two weeks. Because um, I didn't realize, you know, as a as a twenty year old athlete who's, you know, didn't have much experience on on a college at a college level, how much wear and tear that football actually takes on your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying, I, I took one day off after the football season, and then basketball had already been going for about a week and a half. Um, so I hopped straight into it, and my body just at that point in time couldn't take it, and you know I. I had to, some of the coaches and players tell me, you know, that I have potential, you know, as a football player. So mm-hmm. I just, I trusted in that. And um, I ended up explaining that to the basketball coach and he fully understood. So I just stuck with football and started training for that. Now you definitely flashed your potential in your first season. You had 15 touchdowns, 54 receptions for 859 yards. You were a first team All-State recipient and first-team All-Old Dominion Athletic Conference recipient. You set the program single-season record in your first year there. That's absolutely phenomenal. What was your reaction after that season? Um, so, actually, it, that, okay, it wasn't my first year there. Um, so, I know it seemed like that because I went to two colleges before, but... Uh-huh. Um, I actually played all four years there. So my, my freshman year, I, I actually only had one catch, and I was a main special teams guy. And, you know, like I was, I was that practice player that the defense would use, you know, mm-hmm. if the upcoming team had a, a good receiver that, you know, I would go down there and give them a good look. Um, and then, so in reality, I actually did not play that much my freshman year. Um, just so we get on the right track here. Um, my, my sophomore year is kind of when I got into the rotation. Um, that year I was about 32 catches for, I think, about five, four or 500 yards and six touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Now, the year with the 15 touchdowns was my junior year. That was my first year as a full-time starter, you know, playing the majority of the snaps. Um, so I did have a little bit of experience of experience behind me by then, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I set that record. But that that season, I don't think I was expecting it. I don't think anybody was expecting it. Um, and, you know, it was it was a tone setter to, to me and to the coaches and, you know, to my future for football and, you know, how good and I could really be. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, kind of walk me through this because it's – Baffling Milo. So you started at um, your college, and then you went to West Virginia, and then you went to Shenandoah. So what was the timeline there? Was it a year at each school, or was it less than? All right. Uh, so when I graduated uh, that following year, I went to Eastern Mennonite mm-hmm. University. I only stayed for the first semester. Okay. Um, 
So I took the second semester off. And then the following year, I went to West Virginia. Now, after that year is when I ended up at Shenandoah, but not all of my credits transferred in. Mm-hmm. So that that allowed me to kind of stay and, you know, do the four years. Um, and as the way that the uh, NCAA works, it's, it's, you have uh, 10, 10 um semester's worth of eligibility, and I didn't lose any at Eastern Mennonite because I was never technically on the roster because it mm-hmm. doesn't start until the, the spring semester. Okay, so now I'm, now I'm on the same page as you here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you your junior year was absolutely phenomenal, and you said, you know, you didn't, um, a lot of people didn't expect that. Did you feel after the junior year that there was a lot more eyes on you for your senior year and maybe even a little more pressure? Uh, definitely. Um, you know, after, after my sophomore year, um, you know, we knew we had a lot of receivers who were, who were going to be leaving us, uh, for graduation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was that next guy to step up and we've, my four years there, I think we were, we were top 10 and passing offense in the entire country every year. So to be that number one guy and have to, not feel like I have to, but to to still, you know, have that level of success through the air when teams know, you know, that we're an, we're an air raid team. So they're going to focus on that. And to be able to still do that, you know, my junior and senior year, um, the pressure was definitely there. But at the same time, it wasn't because I knew what we could do. I knew what I could do. And I knew what our team could do, um, and you know we just stuck to our plan and we executed the way that we should have. Now your senior year, you did you maybe even better. I think it's safe to say than your junior year. You led the Old Dominion Athletic Conference in receiving yards. You had one thousand one hundred ninety-one yards, thirteen touchdowns. You set a program mark for career receiving record or receiving touchdowns with, I believe, twenty-nine. Correct? Yeah. Uh, yes, I ended up with thirty-four. Oh wow! So you had second team all Old Dominion Athletic Conference recipient that year. You were a finalist for the Armed Services Merit Award that year and the year before you were finalist for the lanier award given to the top ncaa d2 or d3 or naia player in virginia and you earned second team all ecac honors and you were named second team all state jesus casey you had a phenomenal junior and senior year uh yeah so a little rough talking about it uh i took it a little personal um you know, with the accolades that I received, because ultimately you said that my senior year was was better than my junior year, mm-hmm. but yet I didn't I didn't get the the same recognition or you know accolades uh, for my senior year. But then I realized that it's it's all about politics and who you know and if they like you or not. So at at a point in time, I realized that. You know, I need to I need to focus on my future because none of that really means anything. Mm-hmm. No, no NFL team is going to care about that. No, you know, it's going to be what can you do for us and what you know, how can you produce and and all that. So yeah, the accolades are they're cool. You know, it, it was awesome, uh, but at the end of the day, 
you know, once you're done with college, it's it's done. I mean, they're there, but it's not really as important now. Mm-hmm. So gauging the NFL kind of draft um, field of what you've got so far, what has the interest level been from the NFL? What has the interest level been from pro football as a whole, kind of, from your perspective? Um, so originally... I was I was a big, you know, if I played in the CFL, I would be happy, you know, like mm-hmm. I made it. That was before I found the place that I'm training at now, which is called Sport and Speed Institute in Chantilly, Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I got there and I realized that, you know, we have some D1 athletes in there who were training for their pro days, for the draft, some D2 athletes. I'm like, okay. You know, I can play with these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started to realize that, and, you know, CGS obviously like playing in front of uh, NFL scouts, the CFL scouts, and now with the XFL, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the opportunity is, is there for me to take. Uh, obviously, I'm training for an NFL team. I'm training mm-hmm. for my pro day, um, training for the draft, and, you know, I'm going to make the, the most of that opportunity. And just do what I can do from from now until then. And if the opportunity presents itself at any level, um, I'm going to take them all into consideration and, you know, kind of go from there and see what, what fits me best in my future. So looking at the NFL interest level, have you received any contact with teams yet? I know you can't dive into a lot. Um, I just talked to somebody else about this recently but you can't dive into a lot about it but have you received some interest level yet from nfl maybe even xfl or cfl at all um so i recently actually yesterday and today received two tryouts for the two cfl teams the winnipeg and the lions whichever one they are um and when i was at cgs i got a text from the dallas cowboys for me to come take a test for them so I went and did that. Um, but other than that, I think there's like a process now where they're on a, on a dead period, I believe, mm-hmm. is what my head trainer said. So I'm kind of just, we're all just kind of waiting out and, you know, seeing what happens. And, you know, whenever it picks up, I know the pro day will be a huge day for me, especially, you know, being a Division three athlete mm-hmm. from a, a small school Um so I'm just looking forward to that. And, you know, even if I don't receive any more, um, I guess, recognition or whatever it may be from, from any scouts up until my pro day, I'm not going to worry about it mm-hmm. because at my pro day, hopefully I'm going to kill it and then that's when they'll come. Now, obviously it's a little different um, from a D3 perspective versus a D2 or D1 perspective, but when is your pro day and what kind of turnout from a scout perspective do you believe that there's going to be? Um, so my pro day is to be determined at the moment. Um, it's more than likely going to be at JMU, James Madison University. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they have uh, put out the, their pro day uh, yet because I know co- colleges are on a dead period as well for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it's probably going to be early, early to mid March is, is my best guess right now. Mm-hmm. And as a division three athlete, uh, I get this question a lot, you know, comparing to division two, II, division one athlete. Mm-hmm. And I know it's going to be a question that the scouts ultimately ask, you know, 
Um, but it's just, you know, we're all out on the football field. We're all playing for the same thing. You know, we're all out there doing what we love. Um, it's the same game. Sure, there's some guys who have been playing it a little bit longer and um, some guys who like being away from home. That that wasn't exactly me when I was in college. Mm-hmm. That's why I chose to stay close to home. So there's there's NFL talent. There's professional talent as a whole at any 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 level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just have to kind of do what you can to get that recognition. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's gonna if it's gonna come down to to the pro day or you know a mini camp slot, mm-hmm. you know, we're Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. We're all playing football. Mm-hmm. We're all doing the same thing. We're all competing for that spot. And obviously, whoever's better comes out with it. Now the I that was great insight and analysis. So I do want to rephrase part of the original question that I added on at the end. I don't know if that part was understood. How much of um, a scout presence will there be? Do you believe at your pro day? Um, hopefully a good bit. Uh, JMU is a Division One AA <laughs> school who's been the championship pretty much every year, and I know now has multiple people in the XFL that got that got drafted recently, <laughs> and um, usually they're a, they're a bigger, obviously not like an Oregon or anybody like Division One school, but they're <laughs> they're a very good Division One AA school who's, who gets recognition. Um, so hopefully there's there's a decent amount. Um, and, you know, even if there's not, even if there's only a few, I got to impress the few that chose to come mm-hmm. and watch. Now, you definitely seem dedicated and driven towards this goal to make it to the NFL or the pro football as a whole. Um, when do you feel like you'll have been fulfilled in that sense do you feel like you know you mentioned at the beginning you were would have been happy with the cfl but then you know nfl and xfl became realistic do you feel like making the nfl is the ultimate goal or making you know the xfl and getting a chance to perform and then you know just getting the chance to play football is the ultimate goal oh that's a tough question um personally i want all I want is to is is to be the best player that I can be. Um, you know, no matter what level it's at, you know, whatever team I go to, if I go to one, I just want to play football. I want to help the team in any way I can. And yes, I would love to play in the NFL, but if XFL is the, op- the only opportunity that I get, oh yeah, I'm going to take it um, because that. Because ultimately, the CFL and the XFL—they're stepping stones for the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you don't if you don't get that NFL shot right out of the gate, and you just give up, it's always going to be like, well, what if I would have went here and did this for you know a year or two? And I, I don't want to have that thought ever. Whenever I decide that, you know, looking back on a year from now, it'd be a what if question. Um, and I know a lot of guys say like, you know. They just want to make it. Well, yeah, I want to make it, but I don't just want to, you know, make it to the NFL and, you know, be a special teams player. Mm -hmm. I want to make it to the NFL. I want to make the impact and show everybody that 
just because you're labeled in the stigma around Division Three athletes mm-hmm. that you're not good enough to play at the professional level, it's it's a lie. Now, um, obviously, that's a big aspect of going to the NFL from the D3 is, you know, having to kind of prove yourself maybe a little more than a D1 or D2 athlete. But how do you feel from a, and you did mention this already a little bit, so you don't have to elaborate too much on it, but from a talent perspective that you match up with D1 and D2? Because you did say it's the same game and you're 100% correct there. And what kind of sense do you feel that's going to give you a talent perspective matching up against them? Um, so talent-wise, um, I don't, there's a lot more to the game than just being athletic. Mm -hmm. And I say that because a lot of guys get opportunities for the simple fact that they can run a 4-3 or a Mm 4-4. But, you know, are they smart? Can they read a defense? Can they determine how they're going to run their route and what a defender does? Um... So being at the Division Three level, I didn't realize this until probably my senior year, um, honestly, is that because I was at that Division Three and I was in the same system and I actually got to play, uh, is that the game slowed down for me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything on on the field just became slower. Um, it wasn't it wasn't fast. Uh, it wasn't I didn't have to, like, make quick decisions because I already knew what I was going to do. And one of the things that my coaches praised me on is my IQ level on the football field. So that's definitely something that I think I have an edge on a lot of guys um, who come out of Division One and Division Two that, you know, solely rely on just their athleticism because at the, the NFL level, it's, it's so much more than that. Granted, it is a very important piece, but the game itself isn't just – around that. Now, talking a little more about your skill set, um, I've done this with every NFL draft prospect that's come on the show, so I do want to do this a little, little bit with you um, while we're talking about that. So I do want to talk, uh, so what it pretty much is, is I give a skill, um, like IQ or something, and on a scale of one being the worst, five being the best, I want you to kind of give how you feel that you are at that skill at this point in time. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. So starting with what you just mentioned, football IQ. Um, I would give myself uh, at least an eight on that. Oh, out of five. Sorry. What was that? Out of five. Sorry. You said size? Five. Sorry. Like the scales out of five. Uh... I'm not sure. You can give yourself a five. You said one to five? Yes. On my, like, height or, like, just build? Oh, so, all right, now I'm getting. So, yeah, so size. So how do you feel that you stack up compared to other wide receivers in that sense? So one to five. Okay, that, that makes it a little bit easier. Um, all right. Uh, being six four, I think by the time... I'll be probably probably a three. Um, I, I need to gain a, a few more pounds, mm-hmm. but that's that's about the the only the only thing I think size wise is you have a lot of six four receivers at the mm-hmm. professional level who are about anywhere from two ten to mm-hmm. two thirty, like Julio. But 
yeah, so two or three and a half. Uh, catching ability? Is this still one through five, or are we going one through ten? One through five. Uh, four. Uh, your speed? Four. Um, your red zone ability? Five. Your leadership ability? Five. Your, um, route running ability? Three and a half. Your yards after catch ability? Three. Overall athleticism? Four. And last question, dedication? Five. Alright, so pretty much a lot of that is the makeup of what is uh, ideal NFL wide receiver. Is there something I didn't mention there that you believe makes you stand out from the pack that maybe is something that's not typical of a regular wide receiver? So, who is Casey Stewart off the football field? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm a very mellow guy. Um, yeah, I don't exactly go out and, and do a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff. Um, I am currently in the military, the uh, Army National Guard. I have been in for three about three years now i went to basic training um the spring semester of my sophomore year so that was another reason uh i got to play my my senior year Uh, i took a semester off to go do that um i'm a big family guy i love i love my mom my dad my sister and her kids um, I like to play video games. Love to work out, just in a, in a general setting. Doesn't have to be, you know, just for just for football. Um, uh, what else? Overall, well, before I started training for for pro day, I was still playing basketball. I like I like being staying active. I uh, love riding four-wheelers, dirt bikes, razors, all that fun stuff. And that's about the gist of it. I'm a pretty regular guy. Now, the Army National Guard thing is far and away. I want to say thank you for already, like, dedicating yourself to that. That takes a lot of courage and... um I'm just very admirable of somebody who could do that. And with that said, I also think that's something that maybe from a football off-the-field standpoint that kind of sets you apart from the pack wide receiver-wise because there's not a lot of guys, I think, you'll see it more too as you get up to the next level that would do something like that and that have the courage to do that. And that kind of shows your character, and I think that's something that um, you should harp on as you get up there a little more and kind of separates you from the pack. So much respect to you there. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely beneficial. Um, 
you know, I could even relate that to football as far as mental toughness, uh, because that's a huge aspect of the game as well. Um, if you're not mentally tough, then you're going to break. And, you know, being in the military, trust me, there's a, there's a certain level of mental toughness to, to do what we have to do sometimes. Uh, and, you know, but that's made me kind of the man that I am today. Um, you know, throughout college, uh, it was, it was difficult to kind of balance, um, you know, school, football, military duties. Um, you know, not a lot of people have to worry about that. Usually all you guys, you know, division one athlete, you know, sometimes they don't even have to worry about school. They just got to worry about football and produce another football field. Um, so that's, that's definitely kind of made me who I am and I, and I'm proud of that. So, um, I would definitely, Harp on a little bit once I get further up the chain. Now, off the field, who has had the biggest impact in your career? Off the field, so nothing football related. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Um, definitely my mom. Um, my mom and my dad, I can't even single it out because they've mm-hmm. both sacrificed so much, um, you know, time, money, whatever it is to make sure that I can continue to chase this dream no matter what it is. And I know it's hard for them, you know, uh, just to, you know, kind of be in the back seat right now. And, you know, it's kind of all up to me to, to make, everything worth it um so definitely definitely my parents now on the field who has had the biggest impact on your career uh my wide receiver coach uh ben taylor who actually played a few years in the in the nfl um you know, since, since day one he was actually he was actually one of my teachers in high school uh and then we reconnected at Shenandoah. Um, and from day one, you know, even as a freshman who wasn't playing, you know, he always harped on the potential that I had. And every year following that, I mean, he he just he stayed on me and he truly made me a better player and, and helped me so much. And I wouldn't be in this situation if it weren't if it weren't for him and what he's done for me um you know not even as just a coach but you know as a man so i gotta always gotta thank him for that and who is somebody uh whether it's a current or former player in the nfl or could be college as well but um somebody you admired or you want to kind of like model your game after feeling uh you know the 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 stigma around outside white receivers alone um is, is a hard one to to bypass and i know that's going to be something else that scouts or whoever may be are, are going to ask and want to talk about um but to to see what he's done uh he came from a division 
two. He might have been Division three. I can't remember exactly. But, you know, no offers, none of that stuff. And then look at him now. He's, a, he's one of the best receivers in the league. And to, to see that he can do it. And there's obviously other uh, multiple other guys who, who are in the same situation that he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and him being, you know, a top receiver in the league right now, like, I'm, <laughs> I want to be like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he did it, and, and I think I can do it. So hopefully, hopefully one day we get to we get to meet and, and talk about something like that. Now he did after college. You know, he had to like very much claw his way into the NFL and he got there and he has not let up and that's definitely something just talking to you in this interview and looking at some of your stats and just kind of getting a feel of you that you definitely embody that as well so I'm excited to see what you can do at the next level and getting that opportunity as well yes thank you thank you so much of course so kind of um off the field or not off the field but are there like is there a football team that it's the dream to play for. Like, obviously, the dream team, I guess, to play for. Uh, my dad would love to see me play on the Cowboys. Uh, I'm a huge Cowboys fan. So when I got that text to come and come take a test for that, was, that was pretty exciting. But um, you kind of have to ultimately, yes, the Cowboys. Um, I, I would love to play for America's team. I would love to play for the team that I grew up watching. Uh, you know, since I was a kid, and uh, but you know, you don't always get the pick. And mm-hmm. I would honestly go to whatever team took a chance on me, and I would hopefully stay there and and make them, you know, proud that they took a took a chance on me, and um, and every, when everybody else didn't. Well, Casey, one last question before you, for you before we wrap up here. So this is a question I ask every guest, and it is a big one, so you can take as much time as you want. But when it's all said and done, football, um, post-football career, and more, what is the goal you want – or not goal, legacy you want to leave on everything? You said what legacy do I want to leave on? Yes. Um, I mean, it's it's nothing that – any other athlete wouldn't want to do, but for me, it, it hits a little bit harder. Uh, you know, they're, you know, Division three athletes have made it, and they've been successful, but, you know, they have the backstory behind it. They, they grew up playing football their whole lives, and, you know, they didn't have to worry about anything else. And for me, it's just, you know, showing, showing guys that, you know, no matter where you play, where you're at, um, if, if you work hard and you stay dedicated and just almost convince yourself that you're good enough despite what everybody else says and all the stigmas around the game of football, just that you, you can do it if you want. Um, if you work hard enough and you, and you stay dedicated, that you can make it. Well, Casey, I'm so excited to see what you can do at the next level, whether that be wherever it takes you, because I don't doubt that as soon as you get an opportunity, you're going to be able to impress and prove your 
um, worth that is already shined through at the D3 level. I'm excited to see what you do next, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come in Ambitious. The floor is yours to plug your social media, um, whatever you want to say before we close out here. So thank you very much. All right, well, I really appreciate it. Um, and I can't remember my social media off the top of my head. I can send it to you <laughs> if you want to put it out there on there. Um, but uh, honestly, I thank you for this for this opportunity and kind of to boggle my mind a little bit. Um, and, you know, I have two weeks left of, of this training program I'm in and just, you know, remind me that I need to, to keep pushing and, you know, that ultimately I can, I can do it. So I thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, that was NFL draft prospect Casey Stewart. Thanks again, Casey. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and my thanks to Casey Stewart for taking the time to come on. Um, it's a loaded episode. I hope you stayed to the end. If you didn't, either way, uh, you wouldn't be hearing this. But subscribe to Ambitious with Dylan Price wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our Instagram, Ambitious Podcast, Twitter, at Ambitious with DP, and check out our new YouTube channel, Ambitious with Dylan Price. We aired a transcribed episode with Kyle Duggar on there, and we will be re-airing some old popular episodes as well as providing some new original content throughout this coronavirus outbreakation whatever um free time i now have but enjoy some of our coming upcoming content subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and check out our youtube for more content and that's that <laughs>